just eight words here in our text this morning, but words that are brimming with truth and significance. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, and these are the words that he pens. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. What does it mean to be inexpressible? Your translation may say indescribable. Does it mean to be inexpressible or indescribable? Perhaps even unspeakable, your translation may say. Well, the word inexpressible here in our text translates a word that is used here for the first time in the Greek language. Paul needed a word here in this moment to describe the great riches that have been given to us in Jesus Christ, but he did not possess a suitable word in the Greek language to express that. So what did he do? Paul made up a word. Paul made up a word here, translated inexpressible or unspeakable or indescribable in our translations. Not ever used prior in the Koine Greek in which your New Testament is written in, Paul made up a word to speak of the gift that God has given us in his Son when he says, almost in, in exuberant doxology or praise, praise be to God for his inexpressible gift. The idea here is that no words can properly express the greatness of the gift that God has bestowed upon men. It is higher than the mind can conceive. It is higher than our language can express. I want you just to think here for a moment. I want to get your eyes and your mind off of things that are expressible. I want to get your mind off of things that are definable. I want to get your heart and mind off of things that are discernible. I want to get your mind and heart off of things that we can put human language to for just a moment. Because you're going to need to carry that with you this morning as we progress through the text. And so just think with me for a second here about how inexpressible Jesus Christ is. Think about Jesus Christ's eternality. His eternal nature. Friends, that is inexpressible. Our, our minds because they are rooted in the here and now. Our whole worldview, our whole frame set, our whole understanding of things is that which has a born-on date and that which expires. Everything in this world is temporary. Everything in this world, apart from the word of God and the souls of men, are fleeting, passing, temporal but, but a mere speck or a dot on the line of eternity. But the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. He is uncreated. He is ever existent. There are some theologians, pastors, teachers out there that would tell you that Jesus Christ became the Son of God at his incarnation. 
Friends, let me tell you, your Bible is loud and clear about the fact that he was the eternal son of God, the second member of the triune Godhead, without creation, without end, forever, for days upon days upon days upon days, without end, and on into eternity for days without end. Jesus Christ is eternal, that is inexpressible, that is undescribable. Jesus Christ's virgin birth is inexpressible. It is indescribable. God robed himself in flesh. Very God of very God became very man of very man without without doing away with one or the other. 100% God, 100% man. This is the mystery that we try to put words to when we call it the hypostatic union. I mean, that's all we can do is, is we can see a truth and we can say, I don't know, we'll call it the hypostatic union. I, I don't know what else to say about it. As John Wesley put it, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made in man. We, we sing it this way. He penned it in, in other words, in the carol, heart the herald, angels sing when he penned the words, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Jesus Christ's virgin birth is inexpressible. The perfections of Christ's works are inexpressible. I mean, crowds marveled. As we've been studying through Mark's gospel, we've seen crowds marvel. They were astonished. They were awestruck. At times, they were fear-struck by the incomparable authority of Jesus Christ's words and his works. The perfections of who he is. And what he's done. Inexpressible. The worthiness of Christ's life. That is inexpressible. When Jesus was paraded before Pontius Pilate. And he was examined for any faults that he might have. Concerning the law of Moses or the law of the land. Pilate who was no friend of Jesus by the way. Said I find no fault in this man. The prophet Isaiah said of Jesus. His name shall be called Wonderful. What else can we say? His name shall be called wonderful. The worthiness of Christ's life is inexpressible. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You may be familiar with the more modern worship hymn, Wonderful Beyond Description. He is wonderful beyond description. Jesus is beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. Nothing like we've ever seen or heard. Think about the death of Christ. Jesus' death is inexpressible. Who could describe the death of the Son of God? The perfect, sinless Lamb of God who died as a substitute for sinners. The innocent for the guilty. In three hours compressed there on Calvary's hill, Jesus endured the chastisement of sins and he drank the bitter cup of God's wrath. Who can put into words the fact that the Father turned his face away from his Son? We try and put it in words when we sing these words, how how great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. All out among the scoffers. 
was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The death of Christ is inexpressible. Isaiah tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. I mean, Jesus Christ, the second member of the triune Godhead, in his humanity, gave up his spirit, tasted death, and was put in a grave. Indescribable, is it not? Jesus' resurrection is also inexpressible. Jesus Though dead in the earth for three days, rose again, defeated death, defeated the grave, defeated hell, defeated sin forever, so that we can say in Christ, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? You know that victory? When you sing that chorus with confident assurance, Jesus himself himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then lastly, none of this is on your outline, by the way. I just want to get your minds off of the temporal and onto that which is inexpressible. Jesus' return, his second advent, will be inexpressible. We look forward to that day when we, the redeemed of God, will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. God's word says that it has not entered into the heart of man. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, that will be a wondrous, inexpressible day when Jesus Christ returns. And so there's the context for you there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's talking about giving. Matter of fact, what, what Paul is trying to do in the text, the, the, the contextual framework of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is Paul is trying to stir the Corinthians up toward liberal giving, that they would be generous, gracious, liberal givers to God's work. And what Paul does is at the end of 2 Corinthians 9, he just reminds us in spontaneous praise that we can never outgive the greatest giver. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable, unspeakable gift. You can be a liberal giver. You can be a sacrificial giver because God is a liberal giver. Because God is a sacrificial giver and he cannot be outgiven. He's given the greatest gift. In the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. I was thinking this week in my study a little bit more about what it is that makes a gift inexpressible or indescribable or unspeakable. Every human gift, everything sitting under your tree right now or that is yet to be purchased and given here in just a couple of days can be described. And if you can't describe it or the person you're not, that you're giving it to cannot describe it, I'll guarantee you the manufacturer can describe it because for months now they've been pumping at you why you need to buy it. And think about it. Every human gift is describable, is comprehensible, if not to you, then to someone else. And if not to them, definitely by 
its manufacturer. And so what separates then this gift that God has given us? What makes it indescribable? Well, it's the fact that it's more than human. It's the fact that it is more than a mere human gift. It has something of God mixed with it. I mean, every other gift, the value or the worth of that gift can be summarized or calculated. All of it can be expressed. All of it can be described. If you you give someone a diamond ring, it has a a carat weight and it has a dollar value. If you give someone a vehicle, it has a value. If you give someone a plot of land, it has value. If you you give someone a, a, a vacation, it has a value that we can assign to it. Every human gift can be described and its value can be calculated in some terms. But thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The whole idea of the text here is, again, to remind us that God can never be outgiven. The Savior, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, is the indescribable, inexpressible gift that Paul has in view here in our text. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, John 3.16, a familiar text to probably all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave, that's gift language, gave his only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. Galatians 1.4, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live for him who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 1.22, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. 1 Timothy 2.6, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. Jesus Christ is the inexpressible gift. He is the gift beyond description. And so let me give what small amount of time I have left this morning in an attempt to do what is impossible. That is to describe the indescribable, to express the inexpressible, to speak about him, to say some things about him who is unspeakable. If you're taking notes this morning, would encourage you to follow along with us. Number one, your outline is this. God's gift of salvation possesses inexpressible worth. God's gift of salvation possesses inexpressible worth. Think for just a moment about who Jesus is. There he is, lying there in the manger. We don't want to have a sentimentalized view of Jesus, but there he is, lying in the manger bed, that that humble stable in the tiny town of Bethlehem in the little country of Israel on the first Christmas night when God's indescribable gift was given. I mean, words cannot adequately describe him, as we've already said. You can say that he's good, but he's better than good. You can say that he's better, but he's better than better. You can say that he's great, but he's greater than greater. Earthly treasures don't define him. He's more precious than silver. He's more costly than gold. He's more dazzling than diamonds. He's more stunning than rubies. He's more beautiful than pearls. Earthly assessments cannot put a value on him. 
He's worth more than hundreds, greater than thousands. He exceeds millions, billions, and trillions, and infinitely beyond. Human wisdom cannot explain him. Philosophy cannot decipher him. Every world thinker has already or will bow down to him. Socrates will bow, Aristotle will bow, Plato will bow, Confucius will bow, Descartes will bow, and every other man will bow before him. Human religions, they don't reveal him. He reveals himself. Human thought can't conceive him. Psychology can't analyze him. Mathematicians can't calculate him. Computers can't compute him. Explorers can't discover him. He's the inexpressible gift. He gives help to the helpless, hope to the hopeless. He gives peace to the troubled. He gives tranquility to the unsettled. He gives strength to the weak, blessing to the meek, comfort to the mourning, joy to the sorrowful. He is the food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, and rest for the weary. He loves the unlovable. He encourages the discouraged. He lifts up the fallen. He delivers the oppressed. He comforts the grieving. He is salvation for those needing to be saved. God's gift of salvation possesses incalculable worth or value. That baby laying in a manger is the same one at that very moment which Paul speaks of when he says, by the very word of his power, he holds all things together. The Christ child For whom there was no room in the inn, at that very moment, holding galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies in order. Stars upon stars upon stars, unknowable in their trajectories. He is the one whom we read about in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, let us create him, man and woman. Let us create them. Preexistent, eternal, uncreated one took on human flesh and became a man. Try to describe that. Try to to express that. At some point, you just have to say, it is. And I take it by faith. I believe it by faith. God's gift of salvation possesses inexpressible worth or value. Secondly, God's gift of salvation provides for inexpressible needs. Not only is it supremely valuable, not only is it incalculably worthy, but it also provides for inexpressible needs. It meets inexpressible needs. There we were lost, but Christ can find us. Amen? There we were dead. No one But Christ could raise us. There we were sunk. But Christ can recover us. Far off, but Christ can bring us in. Guilty, but Christ can procure pardon for us. I mean, think for a moment here. We have, outside of Christ, inexpressible guilt. 
shot through, riddled, pierced, condemned with inexpressible guilt. Sin is cosmic treason against a holy God. Inexpressible shame. In Adam and Eve, the moment that they violated God's precept in the garden, the moment of their disobedience, they went and hid or tried to hide. But here comes Yahweh in the cool of the day walking in the garden. Adam, Adam, where are you? Friends, it's not because God did not know where Adam was. It's because Adam was running in guilt and shame. And God wanted Adam to own up to his transgression. I think about inexpressible enmity. Sin rips the fabric of the relationship between God and man completely apart. Clear cuts it to the ground. Where once friends with God existed and walked in the garden, now enemies of God exist and walk in the garden. And subsequent to those first two enemies came a multitude of enemies. Friends, every single one of us was born physically alive but spiritually dead. That's what David talks about in Psalm 51 when he says, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That sin creates enmity with God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God sets himself up against the proud. And there's inexpressible destruction. For all who refuse to repent, for all who hold on to their sin, for all who continue on their course of rebellion, there is inexpressible destruction coming. Inexpressible guilt, inexpressible shame, inexpressible enmity, and inexpressible destruction. Friends, God's gift of salvation provides for inexpressible needs. We're all needy. Spurgeon once said this about sin. He said, sin? Is it a little thing? No, it's like poison. Who knows its deadliness? Sin? A little thing? Don't little foxes spoil the grapes? Doesn't the tiny coral insect build a rock which wrecks navy ships? Don't little strokes bring down lofty oaks? Won't continual dropping, small droppings wear away stones? Sin a little thing? No, sin is what sent the Redeemer to the cross. You ever want to know how great a thing sin is? Just look at the cross. Just look at the cost that had to be paid to right the wrong. Just look at the cost that had to be paid to bring sinners that were at enmity back into relation with their maker. Friends, God's gift of salvation provides for inexpressible needs. Third, God's gift of salvation brings inexpressible blessings with it. It brings inexpressible blessings as large as the once are for destitute sinners like we are apart from Christ, the provisions of God's inexpressible gifts are larger. They're greater. As great as man's poverty is, greater still is God's inexpressible gift of grace in Christ Jesus. 
Spurgeon again once said, it's one thing to take a vessel and to fill it, but it is another thing altogether to place it in a boundless sea where it may ever float and ever be brimming. God blesses us in Christ immeasurably, immeasurably. I was thinking about just a few of those ways this week in my study. Think about the inexpressible blessing of forgiveness of sin. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, the psalmist tells us, there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Psalm 130. The inexpressible blessing of forgiveness of sin. As far as the east is from the west. So I have removed your sin. And will remember it no more. I think about the inexpressible blessing of eternal life. To live in Christ even though we die. Jesus said of himself in the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me takes hold of me by faith, though he or she die, and die we will this side of eternity, yet shall we live. It's inexpressible. Think about the inexpressible blessing of being a part of God's family. Think about the inexpressible blessing of being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How about the inexpressible blessing of God's Holy Spirit living in, indwelling those of us in here this morning that know him by faith? That Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that is to come. Wow. I think about the inexpressible blessing of God's abiding presence. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, speaking about God's character says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said in his own words at the end of the Great Commission, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. The blessing of God's abiding daily, moment by moment, indwelling presence. I think about the inexpressible blessing of God's amazing grace. Think about God's grace. Think about how it applies in our moment of weakness. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he said, I, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for me. Everything I need is provided for me by grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. We sing. Lastly here, I think about the inexpressible blessing of knowing that God will meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. If God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, will he not also with him freely give us all things? Wow. Friends, this is, this is just the tip of the iceberg of the inexpressible blessings that come Attached to God's gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. Number four, continuing on here, God's gift of salvation is inexpressibly free. It's free. God's gift of salvation, though it cost him and his son immensely, it is gratuitous to us. It is free to us. We had no claim on God. We could not compel him to provide a plan of salvation for us. All of the arrangements for redemption 
were made by him. Everything here is a gift. Our salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Grace and glory are gifts. The promise of heaven is a gift. We brought nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out of this world. Everything we have is a gift of God's grace. That's why Paul says, in just spontaneous worship and doxology, thanks be to God for his inexpressible, unspeakable, indescribable gift. I'm reminded here, thinking about the freedom, this inexpressibly free gift of salvation in Christ. I'm, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, where Paul writes, oh, the, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his paths and his judgments beyond tracing out. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Rhetorical question, by the way. The answer is no one. No one has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul writes, the gift of salvation is inexpressibly free to us. It is to be received by faith. Number five here, God's gift of salvation is the display of his inexpressible love. It's the display of his inexpressible love. Turn over for just a minute to Romans chapter 5. I want you to see something. Romans chapter 5. Look specifically at verses 6 through 10. Look at the first part of verse 6. Everything before the first comma. Paul says, For while we were still weak... Friends, write this down. God loved you when you were weak. It's inexpressible. It's indescribable. It's unspeakable. God loved you when you were weak, when you were helpless, when you had no strength, when you were powerless, when you were totally unable to free yourself from sin's power, from its presence, from its wages, while we were under the control and the grip of Satan, while we were headed for hell, while we had no power over death, while we were paralyzed by the fall, and while we had no ability, no moral ability to do that which pleased God. That is when Paul tells us that God loved us. God loved you when you were weak. Look at the back half of verse 6 here. God loved you when you were ungodly. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Friends, we need to be reminded and reminded often because pride, the spark of pride will ignite itself in our hearts and minds. God did not save us because of some spark of moral uprightness in us. God did not look at us and say, oh, he's pretty good, or she's pretty good, or they're going to be good, or they might be good, or later on. Weak. We were weak. God didn't love us because we loved him. The inexpressible mystery of the gospel is that God loves the ungodly. In a sense. God also hates the ungodly, in a sense. There's sermons upon sermons in that short sentence, but... I'll leave it at that for this morning. God loves those in Christ who are the antithesis of who he is. The great 19th century theologian, Charles Hodge, once said this. He said, if he, God loved us because we loved him, he would love us only as long as we loved him and only upon that condition. 
And then our salvation would depend upon the constancy of our treacherous hearts. But God loved us as sinners, as Christ died for the ungodly. Our salvation depends not on our loveliness, but on the constancy of the love of God. Look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Friends, there is a sense, and there's a corresponding sense as well, but there's a sense in which God loved us when all we ever did was sin. Remember, sin is to miss the mark of God's righteous standard. We're all guilty outside of Christ. We're all culpable outside of Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Before God saved us, we were under the power of sin. It was our master But in Christ, by faith in Christ, we're justified. Look at verse 10. God loved you when you were his enemy. Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? God makes his enemy his friend. I was thinking this week about a Beloved him. The love of God is greater far than any tongue or pen can tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Rhetorical question, by the way. And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, then, then, if that were true, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Friends, the gift of God's salvation in Christ is the display of inexpressible love. For his own. And then lastly this morning, and we'll conclude here, is the response. I mean, it's just eight short words here in this text. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, unspeakable, indescribable gift. But yet these eight words are brimming with truth and significance. But Paul tells us in these eight words how we are to respond to his inexpressible, indescribable, unspeakable gift of salvation. And that is this. God's gift of salvation should overflow in, two words, inexpressible thankfulness. We can express it. We can express thankfulness and gratitude. Matter of fact, thanks in verse 15 here. It's the Greek word charis. Charis. It means grace or favor or gratitude. Recipients of God's inexpressible gift, which, let me pause right there. Are you the recipient of God's inexpressible gift of salvation in Christ alone through faith alone? Have you received that gift? Because recipients of God's inexpressible gift should overflow in gratitude. What God has done for us in his son. Though words fail us in trying to describe God's inexpressible gift, yet still, we have the ability to pour forth praise, albeit broken. Though human language is woefully inadequate to describe the meaning of the atonement of Christ, nor can we place words 
on the preciousness of his blessings, yet we can be thankful for them. All of our peace, all of our hope, all of our comfort and joy in this life, all of our prospect of pardon and salvation, all the offers of eternal glory, they're all traced back to him. Let me give you just three practical ways this morning as we close that you can thank God for his inexpressible gift of salvation. First of all, you can thank him with the gratitude of your heart. With the gratitude of your heart. We can thank him by remembering what he has done for us. For Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Partake in this symbol, this imagery, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, uh, uh, this is the new covenant in my blood. This cup represents it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Similarly, the, the, the writer of Hebrews reminds us or tells us or encourages us to consider him, think about him, ponder upon him, meditate upon him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him, think about him with the gratitude that should be the right response. Secondly, not only with the gratitude of our hearts, but also with the praise of our lips. We can thank him with the praise of our lips. Again, even though our English language is woefully inadequate, though it falls short of the glory that is due his great name, the psalmist tells us that we are to ascribe to him. Yet we should praise him and thank him with our lips. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, Give thanks always for everything to God. Again in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let thanksgiving be evident in your request as you make them known to God. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, Give thanks in all circumstances. Friends, we, we have the ability to praise him with our lips. And then lastly, by the obedience of our lives. We show him our gratitude. We show him our thanks, our charis, our gratitude by the obedience of our lives. Friends, thanksgiving is good and should be ever-present in our minds and in our hearts and on our tongues, but thanksgiving is also good. Let your thanksgiving translate into thanks living. Thanksgiving to thanks living. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let your thanksgiving be lived out in thanks living. Thanks living. Brothers and sisters, we're gonna sit around Christmas trees in just a handful of hours if we haven't already as families. We're going to unwrap gifts, and there will be joy, but it won't be joy indescribable. It won't be happiness inexpressible. We'll be able to calculate the cost and the value of everything we open, but I want you to remember this Christmas as you're sitting around the tree with your family Christmas morning that there is a gift that outweighs every other human gift. And that is the one given to us by God 
in the person and work of his perfect son crushed for us. Receive it, friends. Receive it by faith. If you're here this morning and you've never come to Christ, I, I beg you, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. God's gift of salvation possesses inexpressible worth. It provides for inexpressible needs. It brings inexpressible blessings. It's inexpressibly free. It's a display of inexpressible love, and it should overflow with inexpressible thanksgiving on our our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable, unspeakable gift. Lord, I pray as we leave here this morning that that theme would be on our hearts and on our minds. Lord, I pray that it would well up in us as pure worship to you. I pray that it would be a pleasing aroma to you. Lord, as we sit around the Christmas tree in just a handful of hours with our families, help us remember the greatest gift that has ever been given to us, the gift of your son. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.